Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we share the many different ways to survive some of the worst situations you could possibly find yourselves in. We will teach you how to survive an active shooter, a tornado, fires, floods, excessive heat, and even hurricanes. And now, on with the show. Yes, I see. Everyone. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and jump in with news since you read that excellent intro for us. Uh, I uh, feel very proud of that intro, by the way. You should. It was very good. <laughs> um, so for reading for me this week, I found an interesting, uh, I don't know, article, paper. It's in the Leeds UK Science News. And the headline was that educational systems are neglecting the importance of plants. Um, The, I guess, the abstract of the paper, basically people are becoming disconnected from the botanical world at a time when plants could help solve global environmental problems, warns a group of research scientists. So this was kind of interesting. It goes on to point out Um, That basically, um, botanical education is all but extinct um, in the modern world. Um, There's not really any new botanists, um, specifically Leeds University that published the paper said between 2007 and 2019, uh, there was one student out of every 185 that graduated in the botanical sciences. Specifically, that 185 is um, other bioscience disciplines. So, like, of all of the School of Biology, one in 185 is studying botany. So, having uh, been a fan of the book The Martian and, uh, you know, being cousin to somebody like yourself, I was curious what your thoughts on this was. Uh, I haven't heard that drastic of a number but it makes sense um i think that there was a gordon ramsay show or another chef i can't remember but he did an entire show showing people from the city where their food comes from and taking them out onto the farm and showing them what corn looks like when it's growing what lettuce looks like when it's growing and developing like an inner city garden thing because we have gotten so disconnected from anything nature related. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but whenever we talk about hiking or like outside mindfulness, it feels like we're sharing brand new science, even though it feels like it should really be um, (laughs) part of our daily lives. Yeah, so, agreed. I believe it. Yeah. So definitely worth a read. Um, I might shoot this out over the, the Twitters or something. And just to clarify and, and cite my sources, so Leeds University published the news article. The scientific paper that it was based on is actually in the journal Ecology and Evolution, volume 12, issue 7. 
Uh, and the authors are Sebastian Stroud, Mark Fennell, Jonathan Mitchley, Susanna Leiden, Julie Peacock, and Karen Bacon. So, got to cite the sources. Nice. Um, I do have to add uh, real quick for the last uh, class of my biology degree, I am taking botany. And of all my textbooks, that was the least expensive probably because they have so much extra. So yeah, interesting insight. Cool. Uh, so this week, um, as far as watching then, my wife and I finished watching the, I don't know what it's called, season four, part two of, uh, of Stranger Things. So when they released season four, they released like all except for the last two episodes. Um, and then... So the second to last episode was an hour and a half and the last episode was two and a half hours. (laughs) So more of a, you know, more of a mini series just on the last two, but they were excellent. I thought. I still have not watched them yet. I'm looking Uh, forward to it. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to download them and uh, next airplane trip that I take, I'm going to, just sit there and binge them there you go yeah this season definitely was like one more of one long story arc seems like they've been getting more that way compared to in the early seasons they were kind of like they stood on their own more so yeah um and then also under my watching i have car mechanic simulator i picked up this game and (laughs) have been playing it it's been a fun mostly relaxing uh way to pass the time sometimes you know when like there's a a part that is still listed as have hasn't been fixed and you can't figure out what it is and it ends up being like some random rubber bushing buried up in the suspension somewhere that's kind of annoying but it is fun um, you and I talked about that a little bit in the post show little powwow meeting that we have after we record last week. And I'm so excited that you got into this <laughs> game. It's super fun, super relaxing. Well, yeah. I don't want to bore too much of our listeners, but in case you're having a similar issue as my cousin and you play this game, if you go into the diagnostics panel and click on the part, It'll highlight it, and you can go right to it. Ah, uh, nice. Is so, it? Does it do that on the expert difficulty as well? Uh, possibly not. Okay, I'm wondering if that's why I couldn't find it, but I don't know, I'll have to go in and, and look at it later. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just sharing a little video game tip for all of our uh, nerdy listeners. Yeah. Or it might be edited know. out and just be a tip between cousins i don't know <laughs> yeah my wife really appreciates that i'm um doing this all virtually rather than spending money on truck parts and stuff so <laughs> if there's any wives listening with grease monkey husbands potential cost savings so yes i have to admit when i first got the game i was tempted quite often to go to the local junkyard and pick up like a casing of a car and just rebuild everything. 
and then I realized that I don't have infinite funds to do so. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> and then other news for me, um, kind of relevant to today's topic potentially. Um, so my area has been in a drought um, for the last couple of years. And the same day, so just a couple of days ago, that our water department declared we are no longer in drought status, they, the weather service issued a heat advisory for my area. So <laughs> um, we're expected to hit temperatures above 100 degrees all week. Um, thankfully, our reservoirs are still at or above the maximum capacity. So we're at this weird dichotomy where we're in the middle of a heat wave, but we have like more, literally more water than we can use. So I guess that's good. So the highs are supposed to be um, as high as 104, 105 degrees, which for people that use the uh, the non-Fahrenheit system, that's 40 degrees Celsius. And uh, overnight lows still going all the way down to 60 or 15 Celsius. So the weird thing for me is just that crazy swing, like 65 degrees between you know four in the morning and four in the afternoon. Those big temperature fluctuations are always the hardest, in my opinion. Like, wake up with a sweater and go to bed naked almost. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> that's enough about uh, my bedtime attire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. uh, no. Um, I guess I'll jump in. Uh, as far as reading, I just barely finished and wrote up a little mini article for one of my websites on the end of nature. I've been talking about that for, I think, three weeks now. Finally finished it. It wasn't bad. It was better than I anticipated. Um, my biggest complaint is it was very bleak with not a lot of... Um, action steps at the end. It was just kind of a, a shock and awe type of report on why we're messing up the uh, environment. So I don't know. I would recommend it because I think everybody should read it. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to handle. So just kind of a lot of pointing out issues without really offering solutions or? Yeah. I think... I think the problem is the uh, the author is not a scientist himself. And so he's writing out all of the information without a proposed scheme to fix it. He's just looking at others' research and just uh, relaying information. Mm, so okay. it reads more like a news article than a book, which makes sense. He used to be an opinion writer for The New Yorker, so... That's kind of his bread and butter. Yeah. Um, and other than that, uh, I just barely started reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I can see why people either love it or hate it. He is very repetitive and shares the same story in every single chapter so far, and it's kind of getting <laughs> boring. 
Yeah, after you mentioned last week that you were going to start reading this one, um, I picked it up for my Kindle. I, however, have not had a chance to jump into it yet, so okay. I'll All try right. to do that this week, maybe. I'll be interested in what your thoughts are. I'm only through the first chapter, but it feels it already feels like it's a little bit more repetitive than I uh, care for. Yeah. Um. And then also, I guess, reading-related. Um, this year is my last year in undergrad school, I guess, uh, for my undergrad degree. I would say my last year in school, but I don't know what the future holds. But I just got my botany textbook and my um, restoration ecology textbook. And I'm very excited for the restoration ecology class because it looks at how to how to reverse some of the things so it uh the first chapter so far kind of talks about all the all the species of grass and everything that we've uh, kind of monocultured out of existence and how to replenish our grasslands and like restore them to where they were before we decided that Kentucky bluegrass uh, being grown on the Colorado Plains was a great idea. <laughs> That's the same thing out here. Although I think probably a third of my grass is probably tall fescue, so not quite monoculture. Nice. Pretty close, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. I'm always, I always nerd out about that type of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Your, your article today made me really excited (laughs) (laughs) um speaking of grass though uh a couple episodes ago you talked about your clover lawn uh has it gone any better or gotten any better it's continuing to to spread and proliferate we so we had some creeping thistle infesting part of it we've uh if it were earlier in the year and if I wasn't trying to grow clover, I would just spray with two, four D problem is that will kill the clover. (laughs) And because it's, um, daytime temperatures are above the mid eighties, it'll probably kill the grass too. So, uh, we've spent the last few days going out at like nine 30 at night because it's still light over here because we're so far West. Um, and just pulling it all up by hand. And that's kind of helped the clover continue to spread. Um, So I would say it's maybe 40% clover, 60% Kentucky bluegrass. Nice. At this point, I'm just kind of letting it go natural. As much as the clover spreads, great. And then I'll evaluate it in the spring if I want to try and seed it more heavily. Gotcha. Yeah, I've I've been very intrigued since you mentioned that uh, on the podcast, and I'll I'll probably ask you about it at least once a week until <laughs> uh, it goes dormant for the winter. Yeah, it's definitely stayed because of the clover and because of how it. So the clover itself does better in the sun, but it also shades the roots, and it is amazing how green my front lawn is compared to all of the neighbors, even though I'm only watering 
like three days a week. It like people told me that it made a difference and I was just kind of always like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it, it really has made a big difference. So I also keep it mowed fairly short. I mow it, um, four inches. So I haven't given the clover a chance to like, it doesn't ever get a chance to get tall enough to like flower. Gotcha. So from, you know, if you're across the street, it just looks green. It looks just like grass. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my neighbors had noticed that they had a clover yard, but they let it go fully mature. And so it looks beautiful, but it doesn't look like a lawn. Yeah. I think it would be cool to let mine go um, just to see what it looks like. So I'll have to see if I can. (laughs) I know it starts to get kind of shaggy and messy because it's still, since it's still a mix of clover and grass. So I try to let it grow a few times, but it gets to be about six inches tall. And I'm like, "Eh, it's starting to look scruffy. Mm -hmm. Get out there and whack it down. There you go. Anyway, um, I guess we should go back to our podcast rather than Garden Cast. Um, <laughs> as far as watching this week, uh, my wife got uh, sick with COVID, um, so she spent a lot of time on the couch and wanted kind of a brainless drama. So we have gone through the first three seasons of Gilmore Girls in this last week. So... I don't know if you're if you've seen it or know anything about it. I I am familiar with the show. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um my my ex-wife was a big fan, so she I think she this was back wow, this was you know so people used to do this weird thing where they would buy TV series on DVD. <laughs> what? <in> day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so <laughs> Gilmore Girls and 24, the Kiefer Sutherland were a couple that were popular at the time that we had. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Lorelai and Rory and, and all those guys. There and you go. brainless drama is, is a very apt way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're cute stories. Yeah. I wouldn't sit there and watch it if it was not worth watching, but it's also one that I have no problem walking away from and then walking back three, four episodes later and going, Oh, what's happening now? All right. And then sitting down and watching it some more. So Well the best thing is there's really only like four or five different basic plot lines that they pull from. So <laughs> Yeah. You get those that... down and you can pretty much guess what's gonna happen in any given episode. I think that's why my wife likes it because it's sim it watches similar to a Hallmark movie. It's a predictable ending without a lot of like high drama. Yeah, true. So, So. and I mean, people could make the same criticism about some of the stuff I watch, right? So. Oh, they totally could. (laughs) I, I mean, I watched all nine movies of the Star Wars and enjoyed, for the most part, all nine of them. And I can tell you that all nine of them share the exact same storyline every single movie. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like sometimes predictability is nice. And all of like Star Trek Next Generation is just basically the same thing over and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm. With different aliens, but it's all good. Same story. I, I feel like Star Trek, they rotated a little bit. I think there were five plots. <laughs> Fair. The, the problem is each season's like 30 episodes, so you, you, you watch the same plot at least six times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So, anyway, um, uh, enough about that. Uh, as far as my news, um, so I'm I'm kind of going back into the garden thing. Um, in our garden, I had some um, tomato plants that some of my neighbors had grown from seeds, and they weren't sure what was going on. They were yellow and kind of sickly, um, so I took them and I planted them in my planter and got them uh, the water and nutrient levels that they needed and they have turned green. I have had flowers and I have officially had fruit off of my tomato plants. Nice. Uh, so that was exciting. And then I was looking at my potato plant. It looks like it is ready to bud. Um, super exciting, which means it's almost ready to harvest once it buds and starts to die out up on the top. Um, for our listeners who may be interested in growing potatoes, I do want to share a little bit of information about this plant. They bud, they flower, and they produce fruit. This fruit is something that you should never eat. It's part of the nightshade family. It's considered extremely toxic to, toxic <laughs> to both humans and animals. Well, which makes sense considering humans are a type of animal, but that's besides the point. Don't eat it. If you get it and you're lucky, plant it. It's a seed, but do not eat it. And that's just my warning for any of you home gardeners out there who may be interested in growing potatoes. Yeah, my rule and advice has always been if it looks like a tomato and you're not sure what it is, don't eat it. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's um, good advice. And then kind of like you guys up in the Northwest, we're finally getting a little bit of afternoon rain. Uh, unfortunately, we're getting trace amounts. We're getting less than like a tenth of an inch every rainstorm so we are still in the drought and it's still hot so fun <clears throat> must be yeah. summer it must be i'm looking at my computer right now as i'm talking to you and the little weather thing down on the bottom of my window says it's still 80 degrees and uh i still have weather warnings flashing at me so <laughs> nice <clears throat> i would love for it to be 80 degrees here oh. we're sitting at 92 right now in, in fairness it is nine o'clock at night and we're on the far eastern side so the sun's down yeah we still got another hour over here so anyway <clears throat> Today is an episode of Tangents, apparently. Yeah. 
Hopefully we'll be a little bit more direct in the main topic. Which theoretically starts now. Cool. <laughs> um, so as you alluded to in our intro, and as kind of a, I don't want to say it's a continuation of last week, but maybe inspired by our discussion last week. Uh, we wanted to talk about how you can prepare for any number of unfortunately common, maybe dangerous situations that you may find yourself in. Um, and we already went through the list at the beginning, but we wanted to start with the one that is probably on a lot of people's minds due to news coverage. And that is the active shooter. Um, so the advice that we're, offering is the run hide fight model which i want to say was developed by the department of homeland security and is taught all over the place at corporations schools churches it's kind of the go-to um, training for how to for how the average joe i should say um, can keep themselves safe in this situation so the first step in the run hide fight obviously is run. So if there is an accessible escape path, the advice is to evacuate. You want to act quickly, put as much distance between yourself and the shooter as possible. If you are able to um, have an escape route and a plan in mind, this is something that a lot of like schools and places of business will have these formal escape routes. So if that applies to you, it would be worth looking up that information in advance. Uh, when running a few things to keep in mind, number one, uh, due to the fight flight or freeze response that humans have, there's a good chance that others around you are not going to want to follow you. And because of the primal nature of that response, there's not going to be anything that you can do to change that. So, you know, if it's coworkers, if it's other students, whatever, make it clear that you are leaving. And if they follow, great. If not, don't try and stick around and convince them because you're just putting yourself in more danger. Also, just leave your belongings behind. Don't worry about grabbing backpacks. Just leave everything and go. Also, when running, keep your hands visible and empty just so that you are not mistaken as a threat. If you encounter others that are trying to escape and you have like a more of a level head, try and offer help where you're able to. Um, in chaos like this, a lot of people can get lost, get turned around. So if you know where you're going, encourage them to follow you. But again, don't stop and try and convince people if they're frozen. Um, also, if you are evacuating from an immediate area where the shooter is and your evacuation route takes you through like another room or through another floor, uh, make sure you indicate to and prevent individuals from entering the area where you just left. Um, 
you know, when people are running around, if you have knowledge of where the shooter is, just let them know, Hey, he's, he's like, I just came from there. Don't go that way. It's not safe. Um, also don't attempt to move wounded people. And once you get to somewhere that it's safe, call 911. Chances are it's already been reported, but any additional details that you can offer um, or any th- information that the 911 operator can relay to you would be good to have. Perfect. Um, I, in the run thing, uh, preventing other individuals to enter where the shooting has happened and uh, the freezing thing. Um, I've, I hate to say I've had the privilege, but I've had the opportunity to be part of uh, a couple active shooter drills with um, trained people firing blanks. And if you're in a big building or a big area, it is amazing how you cannot hear something that you think that you could hear. Um, one of the drills, it, we had no idea what was going on until I was um, had a blank. I was tapped on the shoulder, said, sit down, you've been shot. And the uh, runner, the gunman, like walked probably about five feet away from me before he pulled the trigger. And I had no idea that he was even in the building. And after we got together and talked about it, I found out that I was victim number 30. So there were 30 times that that trigger was pulled before I even heard it. And it computed. So Mm -hmm. help people not go back in for sure. Sorry. Little side note and kind of a somber one of that. It's good advice though. Um, If you are unable to run, The next bit of advice is to hide. Um, The the importance in choosing a place to hide. Choose a place that's out of view. If you can, lock the door and block it with heavy furniture, office equipment, anything like that. Hide behind a solid object away from the door. Um, If you are able to, choose a place that doesn't trap you or restrict your options to evacuate. If you find the find the chance to turn off your lights and computer screens and silence your phone, make sure it's quiet. The goal here is to make sure that whoever the bad guy is does not have the ability to find you. Um, and that's the most important part right here. If, uh, if you're able to call 911, if you can't speak, just stay on the line. They'll send somebody out, um, that type of thing. Again, probably already been reported, but just in case you're in the first part of an active shooter, they need to know what's going on. Another thing uh, from the active shooting drills that we did was um, in an emergency situation, and we, we saw this on September 11th, we saw this um, quite often in school shootings. Um, unfortunately, cell phone service goes down. You may not even always get through as people are calling, checking in, all of that type of stuff. So if you can't get through to 911, don't assume that somebody else has. Keep trying. 
Yeah. Also um, worth noting in a lot of areas, I know they just enabled this here in Idaho, you can text 911 now. So depending on network congestion, a lot of times text messages can get through when calls can't. So moving on then, uh, so run, hide, fight, we're now in fight. Um, so as a last resort, and only if your life is in danger and you cannot flee, you can attempt to take the shooter down. Your chance of survival is much greater if you try to inca incapacitate them by active, acting as aggressively as possible, throwing items, improvising weapons, yelling, um, just generally causing as much disturbance as possible. Doing those things that are kind of out of the ordinary that's going to make the shooter pause and have to process what it is you're doing. Uh, we talked last week about the OODA loop, the observe, orient, decide, and act. And the more like weird stuff you're doing, the more you're going to make that shooter pause and think about what's going on which gives yourself or others a chance to close the gap and incapacitate them. Uh, the most important thing if you decide to fight is you need to commit to your actions. Um, if you decide to fight and then change your mind and try and run, uh, it's going to be too late. It's, you know, it's kind of sad to say, but that's just how it is. Um, also, just as a note, our advice on this podcast, um, I think we're probably just going to keep it in line with the official recommendation um, since this is advice for kind of a broad audience. We're just going with least common denominator as far as training. Um, if you've had a lot of other training, then obviously this um, section of the run, hide, fight might apply a little bit differently to you but we're not going to really get into, into that right now. Um, part of the fight thing that I, I was thinking of, um, if you are a here in America, if you're, if you have a concealed carry permit and you decide to engage the shooter with your gun, make sure that you drop your gun after the, after the shooter is incapacitated because the last thing you want is to be shot by police as the active shooter. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of hysterics, a lot of things like that. Um, that's just my advice for you. If you choose to do that. Yep. And I mean, as yeah, like make it as, non-threatening as possible drop the magazine lock the slide back set it you know on the floor far away and just lay down on the floor so you definitely don't want to be holding it standing over a body when the police show up because they're not going to know the difference between you and the shooter and while personally i believe that the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. There has also been plenty of instances where law enforcement has shown up and shot the good guy with the gun. So mm -hmm. just be safe. 
And for those of you that don't carry a gun or live in a country where it's illegal to do so, the yelling, being committed, all that stuff really works. Most of the uh, people that decide to commit these heinous crimes, these heinous acts of violence, are not trained shooters. And anything you can do to freak them out is going to make it that much more likely that you're going to survive, even though the last thing that you want to do is fight. Plain and simple. Last thing you want to do is fight. So. And I guess Uh, that brings us. Oh, sorry. sorry, I'm going to jump in with just one more thing. As far as fighting back without having a gun of your own. um, So I've done a lot of like defensive handgun courses, um, professional training offered by different organizations Um, and so statistically speaking, most, uh, like lethal handgun fights happen within 21 feet. That's the the statistic from the FBI. And that's what's been drilled into, into my head over and over by different courses, different companies. It's pretty common statistic. And one of the things that I've done in a couple of these different courses, um, one of them was at Front Sight. Um, I forget the name of the other one, but they will, so you'll, they'll give each student, they'll pair you up. They'll give one of the students a, either a, like a rubber, like a fake gun, or sometimes one that's been set up to shoot like compressed air. And the other one, they'll give like a fake knife and they'll pace you off 21 feet and they'll have the guy with the knife or whatever improvised weapon just without warning, like take off running and try and get to the guy with the gun. And honestly, more than 90% of the time, the guy with the gun loses that battle because 21 feet, you can cover that distance really fast and being able to like bring a gun up, aim, and be effective on target takes somebody with a lot of training. So really, even if it's as a last resort, and even if you're fighting back with like a chair or a fire extinguisher, you really do have decent odds of coming out on top. So just because you don't carry a gun, you know, don't let that resign you to just being a statistic if you want to fight back you should feel empowered to do so i am reminded of when i was young and my brother used to have a uh, have two balls in his hand one he'd say hey catch and throw it up as high as he could and i'd be dumb and watch the one that was flying and then he'd hit me in the stomach with uh with the one that he meant to <laughs> do damage i'm not I'm not saying that it'll work, but it's an idea. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, back on topic. (laughs) I guess that uh, was all on topic. Um, What do we do when law enforcement does arrive after everything's been done? Um, You have to realize that the officers that are responding will be armed. They will probably be wearing body armor, tactical equipment. It might be SWAT team. It might be something like that. Officers don't know what the situation is. They may be yelling, shouting. Um, They might push you to the ground. Uh, Know that this is for your safety as well as for their safety. 
first officer in will never help an injured person. They will, if, uh, if this threat has not been dealt with, their job is to find the threat and make it safe for everybody else. So the first officer will not help you if you are injured. Do not expect it. As they're coming in, do your best to remain calm. Deep breaths. Follow any instructions that they give you. Keep your hands visible. Make sure they're empty. Avoid any quick movements uh, towards officers and definitely avoid pointing anything, whether it's a finger, a cell phone, a book, a hat, anything. Nothing threatening, nothing pointed towards an officer. Do not attempt to ask the officers to help. Um, They're in there to do a job. Their job is to make sure that the threat is secure. EMT, firefighters, they'll be in there to help you. Once it's safe to do so, don't don't get in the officer's way. Um, and evacuate in the direction from which the officers are entering the premises. Um, in the drill that I was a part of, as the officers came in, the last officer in the room would let you know when it was clear to leave and through very simple pointed directions point you to the door until you exit that way and as you're exiting keep your hands up always keep your hands up don't reach for your pockets don't reach for your wallet don't reach for your phone walk out hands up or on your head yeah i don't really have anything to add keep your hands visible is the biggest thing and yeah they chances are they're going to be yelling screaming just do your best to to comply it's going to be chaotic it's not going to be a good time um and i mean if you're if you're injured or whatever don't like you said don't try and stop them the last thing you want to do is you know be laying on the ground or sitting against a wall and try and reach out and grab a law enforcement officer as they're walking past just stay down you know if you're hit just apply pressure the paramedics are going to be right behind him i promise yep all right that was the hardest one um probably the scariest probably the one that's on everybody's mind there's other there's other emergencies that are more natural so let's uh quasi lighten the mood a little bit as we move on to tornadoes (laughs) i i have never lived in a tornado area um so every time somebody talks about tornadoes, my mind goes right to the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and it's not meant to make light or to poke fun of it, because I know that tornadoes do a ton of damage. Um, but um, So yeah, for this section and a couple others on this list, um, not going to have a whole lot of personal experience, just going to be relaying the information that we have researched. Um, so tornado... What to do when a tornado hits. If you are at home, go to the lowest part of the house. If that's a basement, go to the basement. If you live where I do and you don't have a basement, 
then go to the middle of the house and lay down. Um, avoid the windows. Go to an interior walled room if, you know, again, if you don't have a basement. Um, and if possible, grab a, a radio, preferably battery powered, so that you can get updates on, uh, you know, on where the tornado is, where it's going, when emergency responders may be there. Um, if you are at work, the advice is pretty much the same. Get to the ground level. If you're on like a skyscraper, get below ground if possible. Um, if not, go to an interior room without windows and try and find access to a radio. If you are driving, if you are on the road, uh, first of all, don't panic. If possible, try to drive away from the path of the tornado. Um, tornadoes can travel, it should be noted, uh, 60 miles per hour or faster. So if you spot it where while it's far away, this is an option. If it's already close, then it's probably too late to get out of the way. In that case, you want to pull over, try and find a ditch or like a drainage depression, um, or even just, you know, most roads and highways tend to be raised up. Just get off the road, get down low, cover your hands and your head with a blanket or just whatever you have and just stay on the ground until the tornado has passed. Um, if there's not a low spot, if you're out on the Great Plains, maybe um, just make sure you fasten your seatbelt. Again, pull over, stop the car. Um, hunch down so that your head is lower than the windows if you can. Cover your head with whatever you have. And just try and ride it out. Um, if you are in an area with overpasses and bridges, don't seek shelter under those. A tornado will blow right through them without any difficulty and bury you in concrete. So it's kind of human nature to want to shelter under those, but... It's just it's just not worth it. It's going to cause more harm than than good. Perfect. Um, this one was interesting to research because I've grown up with the threat of tornadoes, but I've never really known what to do if I was driving. And so I learned something new today as you were sharing what to do if you're driving because you always see people whenever there's hail or anything hiding underneath an overpass, thinking that they're going to be safe, even ditching their car and like hiding up underneath the road. And like you said, tornadoes don't care. They'll, they'll rip yeah. right through it. They, they rip through airports and buildings like a hot knife through butter. They're not going to stop for a little piece of concrete and rebar. Yeah, so, I mean, I, we've all seen the news footage where they level buildings and, and overpasses, not going to stand a chance. Um, the next one, similar to tornadoes, is the elusive hurricane. Not so elusive, it happens quite often, but um, hurricanes. So this is one that I have never been a part of. I've never been in there in an area during hurricane season that gets hurricanes 
and I never really imagined myself doing it, but it's still good to know in case I'm on vacation or anything like that. So before a hurricane, luckily we know enough about weather forecasting that we can kind of figure out where they are. Fill your vehicles with gas. Check to make sure that all your flashlights and radios have fresh batteries and test your spare batteries to replace them if necessary. Secure all your windows and doors. Close shutters or board up your windows. Have your extra supplies on hand, such as your non-perishable food, clean drinking water, all of that stuff. Um, we've talked about in a lot of our prepping series having a 72-hour kit. This is where you would use your 72-hour kit. Um, make sure that you have enough water for each person, which is about half a gallon or two liters of water per person per day. And make sure you have extra prescription drugs just in case. During the storm, never go outside uh, while the wall cloud is going through. Um, if you've ever looked at satellite image of a hurricane, it's got a little eye of the storm type of thing where it's like calm. Um, right before that is something called a wall cloud. And that is the hardest part of the storm fastest moving winds, most damaging um, part of the storm. That's the part that you're hunkering down in. You don't want to go outside during, well, that wall cloud is pushing through. Um, the high winds can cause things to fly off of houses, go airborne, hit you, hit, uh, hit your car if you're trying to drive away during that. It, it's a dangerous situation. Um, stay away from windows and doors. Again, you don't want the door to fly open as, as something hits it or a window to shatter all over you. Uh, keep alert for additional warnings. This could be through radio or through, um, you've got a, a radio, like a ham radio, right? Mm -hmm. At your house, Adam? Got a couple of them. So radios, ham radios, things to get, be prepared. Um, Unfortunately, hurricanes, because they're so powerful, can spawn tornadoes uh, as well as flooding. So you need to be prepared to survive these additional threats. Um, for the tornado, go back about 20 seconds and re-listen to that if you need. Uh, avoid using uh, electrical appliances during the height of the storm. Stay off your telephone, especially your landline, in case of a lightning strike. And try to conserve your cell phone. Um, battery. Uh, the site that I was on recommended putting your animals in animal carriers or um, in crates uh, just because it's so traumatic, so scary that this is not only safer for the animal, it's also safer for you. And um, the last thing you want to do is try to go find your dog after it runs out of the house because it's scared of the storm. Um, don't light candles or lanterns during the height of the storm as they can be blown over, cause fire. And always remember that there's two walls of the storm. There's a false calm in the middle where the eye is, and you should never go out in the eye of the storm unless you absolutely have to make life-saving repairs on the building that you're staying in. And wait inside until an official all-clear signal comes before you emerge from wherever you're hunkering down on. 
I feel like I've been talking a lot. We're almost through hurricanes. Um, after the storm's passed, be on alert for down power lines, possible gas leaks. Stay out of the heavily damaged areas. Um, keep your radio on uh, for further instructions, FEMA instructions, further warnings. If you're the helpful type of person, stay local, help out your neighbors, but don't travel too far from your home until official cleanup operations have begun. And uh, be prepared for storm surge. This is um, basically the after effects and pre effects of the hurricane as the tides raise, waves, flooding, heavy rain, all the all the added water uh, that comes from a hurricane. So, sorry, that was fast, and I feel like I talked for a while, but that's how to survive a hurricane. It's all good. It's good information. I'll make sure and put um, chapters on this one so people can skip to the disaster they're interested in if they need to. <clears throat> Perfect. Uh, so next up, earthquakes. Uh, this one I know a little bit about. I moved from an area that was fairly common for earthquakes, not like San Andreas, California common, um, to an area that they're rare, but they still do happen. Um, so before an earthquake hits, obviously you want to try and have an earthquake plan. Uh, you should practice the stop, cover, and hold. Make sure you have emergency food and supplies, similar to you know 72-hour kits and stuff we've talked about. Make sure all of your insurance is up to date. Um, and one other thing that I'll throw in, make sure you know where the shutoffs are for your water, for your gas, and for your sewer, if you have one. A lot of times you don't have a sewer one. But critically, know how to shut off the gas to your house. Also very important, know how to shut off the water. Um, earthquakes are one of those disasters that almost always will cause you know, gas leaks and uh, water line breaks and stuff like that. So the water is probably going to be contaminated. And obviously, with a gas line break, the fire is there you know, fire and explosion is the hazard there. So know in advance where the shutoff is. And if it requires a special tool, make sure you have one of those in your emergency kit. During the earthquake, uh, stop what you were doing immediately and find cover. Uh, when I was a kid, they used to tell us to go to a doorway. That uh, is no longer the advice because doors and stuff swing all over the place and they found out that people were getting concussions. So... <laughs> Go to um, kind of a, again, just a central interior room uh, under a table is great and just hold on so that the table doesn't go, you know, bouncing away as the earth is shaking and just stay there. Hold on um, until the quake is over. Be ready for aftershocks. They're fairly common. Uh, if you are driving and an earthquake hits, Similar to other disasters, pull over off to the side of the road, uh, put your seatbelt on, make sure you are in a place where things cannot fall on top of you. So again, no overpasses, no bridges, um, not you know underneath like a giant sequoia tree or anything. Um, don't pull over on or near any expansion joints, uh, especially like if you're on an elevated highway. So this is where like you have a, on a highway, you have a ramp going up a hill and then there's a, an expansion joint and then the bridge. Um, 
do not, please do not park your car on that expansion joint. Uh, you might fall through. Um, also, after you pull over and park your car, um, shut it off and uh, put on your parking brake or your emergency brake so it doesn't roll forward or backward. Um, after an earthquake has passed, um, again, wait for aftershocks. They can happen for several hours after. And then similar to a hurricane, uh, grab your radio, wait for an official all clear, um, check for injuries to you and your families, uh, stay inside unless you have a good reason to go out. Do not use gas appliances. Um, usually you can smell a gas leak, but sometimes you can't. Um, so just don't do it. Don't turn on or off any lights or electrical things um, until you're sure there's no gas leak. And also just know that structural damage can be dangerous. So be safe in and around buildings. And sometimes that damage is invisible. So just because your house is still standing doesn't mean that uh, you don't have structural damage. All good stuff. Um, that brings us to fire. Uh, in fire, we're going to cover two basic things. Uh, we're going to cover if your house or the how, apartment building or whatever is on fire. And then we're going to talk about what happens if you're out in nature and a wildfire erupts around you. Um, first off, in a building, number one, stay calm. That's going to be repeated over and over. Stay calm. Move to low ground to avoid uh, smoke inhalation. So move close to the ground. Um, when I was in Boy Scouts, they taught us to, to crawl um, type of thing. I don't know if they still teach that. Uh, another thing that they taught was as you get to a closed door, put the back of your hand against the door to feel for heat before you open it up because the last thing you want to do is give any sort of fire oxygen rich air especially when you are between the fire and the oxygen rich air uh, don't waste your time looking for valuables or getting dressed if you are woken up from sleep don't attempt to extinguish the fire unless you're trained to do so let the professionals do their job if it's at night when the fire breaks out and you're woken up by uh, smoke alarms Yell out fire, everyone out, as you exit the building. Uh, this will hopefully wake up your neighbors if you're in an apartment complex. Hopefully wake up your kids so that they're not groggy when you go in to grab them. Hopefully awake your dogs and cats and everything in case you bump into them on your way out. Um, and that's basically how to survive a building fire. If you're out in nature and a wildland fire kicks up while you're camping or something like that. There are certain things that you can do. Um, I have to warn you, trying to seek shelter from a wildfire and riding out the firestorm is probably not going to end well. So listen to this, take the advice, have a plan, but know that things can go haywire fast. So you're out camping and you see that glow and the smoke is filing into your, into your campsite. 
The first thing you need to do is stay calm. Second thing, protect your airways. Grab a bandana, t-shirt, face mask. If you're camping, you probably don't have a rebreather. Some people do. I, I don't know. I don't go camping with a rebreather or a gas mask, but do something <laughs> to protect your fa- your airways from smoke inhalation. Assess your location. Look for places with non-flammable structures, uh, such as rocks, boulders, caves. Remember, wildlife will run away from a fire. So if you need to bug out, follow the wildlife. They're going to run the direction that you need to go. Travel downhill. At the end of most hills, you'll find streams, rivers, lakes. Keep moving. Always keep moving. Um, Unless the fire has got up to you and you need to find a safe place to hunker down, um, keep moving. As far as finding a safe place, um, again, look for lakes, rivers, low ground. Uh, Unless the fire is a brush fire, it's probably not going to be on the ground. It's usually in the canopy of the trees. If there's a lot of overgrowth, it will be down on the ground. Know that it's going to get hot. And you might not survive. Um, Just be prepared for that. In a last-ditch effort, you can't find anything. Um, Remember that uh, fire can't burn what has already been burned. So if you need, create a back burn and try to stand where the fire is burned or try to flank the fire if the winds have curved and you can get behind it to a place that has been burned. That's going to be your best option if you can't outrun it. Um, If you're able to, always evacuate to safety. If you have a car, truck, or anything while you're camping, jump in the car, get out of there. If you're at an organized campground, um, BLM agents, forest rangers, people will usually guide you to a safe uh, logging road or some other way to get out of the forest. Um, and if you need to, uh, text 911, if you're living in the, in the United States, a message, um, letting them know where you are, where you're hunkering down. Um, unfortunately, if you have to hunker down and try to hide from a forest fire, you're probably not going to make it, but they'll at least know where to look for you. Um, if you're in a house and a wildfire breaks out, Follow evacuation orders, follow pre-evacuation orders, make sure you have your to-go bag full of important documents, and follow the evacuations. And that is fires. It's uh, That one was a hard one because that was, uh, if you're caught out in a forest fire, you're probably not going to survive. Yeah, that's the harsh truth. <clears throat> All right, opposite of fire, floods. So what can you do before the flood hits? Um, If you live in a floodplain, which if you are in the United States and you purchase a house, you will know it's a required disclosure um, and your homeowner's insurance will make sure that you pony up for the extra coverage. Uh, You need to have flood insurance. Um, Houses can be rebuilt. Belongings can be replaced. So make sure you have flood insurance if you live in those areas. Um, 
you can also, before the flood hits, you can sandbag water access points to divert water away from vulnerable locations. Um, you want to make sure that you have a working sump pump, which is a pump that goes in your basement and pumps water out. Again, uh, common to a lot of these disasters, have an evacuation plan, sit down with your family, decide ahead of time what you're going to do, write it down, um, and laminate it if possible. Um, make sure that you have your emergency goods somewhere secure and accessible. Um, if you live in a floodplain, storing them in the basement may not be the best spot. Um, also, similar to earthquakes, know how to shut off your gas, uh, electricals, especially water supply, etc. And during the flood, or as you know, after you've gotten warning and it's imminent. Turn off the electricity, turn off the gas. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say turn off the water. Just turn off everything that you can. And put your evacuation plan into action if necessary. If you are unable to evacuate, then you're gonna to have to bug in. You're going to use that emergency kit that uh, you've put together after listening to all of these episodes we've done. Plan on the civic water supply being contaminated for several days. Have a method to purify water. Have water storage if possible. Um, use signal flares to get the attention of first responders. If you have serious injuries, you can even like paint your house in a neon color to draw attention. Uh, when it is safe to leave your home, uh, just know that flood water, flood water can carry antigens, viruses, and other dangers. Also, mold can cause a big health hazard after the floodwaters recede. And with floods comes critters like snakes, rats, and other things that will seek shelter in your home alongside you. So you may have some friends. If you are driving and a flood hits, never enter a flooded road. You may be familiar with the road. You may think you know how deep it is. The fact of the matter is floods wash roads out. They open up sinkholes. And what five minutes, five minutes ago could have been a solid road could have a ravine in the middle of it that's covered by water. It could have a giant sinkhole in the middle of it. Never try to drive across a flooded road. If you are caught on the road, say in traffic maybe, and a flood hits, turn off your car, open your windows. There's a good chance that your car will be ruined, but if your engine's off, you know, maybe it'll make it. Open your windows so that you can get out of the car if you need to. Be ready to abandon your vehicle. If it comes to that, no car is worth your life, but don't abandon it prematurely. If you're in traffic and the flood starts, you know, making all these cars float around, uh, you don't want to be trapped in between them. That's a bad place to be. If you are walking and a flood hits, try to avoid being caught in fast moving water or really any moving water because slow moving water can turn into fast moving water. If you have a stick or a cane or anything similar, um, use it to check the ground in front of you as you walk to check for submerged threats. Uh, the sinkholes that we were talking about before, unstable ground, 
debris, all of this could be hiding under the water. Um, if you are leaving a flooded building on foot, also use a sticker pole to check the integrity of building materials like stairs. Uh, water can damage these a lot faster than you would think. Also, if you are walking or otherwise on foot in flooded areas, be aware of electrified water. Down power lines can charge the water. Uh, once you enter it, you become a grounding force and you can lose your life very easily. Avoid it at all costs. When in doubt, uh, if there's standing or running water anywhere around electrical lines, just stay out. Take the long way around. Um, perfect. And that brings us to our last threat, disaster threat. Um, and this is something that has been hitting the Western United States, the Northeastern United States, Southern borders of Canada, Western Europe, parts of Russia all summer long. Uh, and that is heat wave. So how do you survive a heat wave? This may not sound as threatening, but a lot of people lose their lives to excess heat every year. Number one thing, stay hydrated. Make sure you're drinking enough water. Make sure that uh, you're not suffering from heat stroke or anything like that. Just make sure that water is inside of your body. If you're going outside, make sure you're wearing sunblock. Make sure you have an emergency kit prepared just in case power goes out, water goes out, AC goes out. Have something prepared. Same as uh, same as we've talked about before. Make sure that uh, you have at least a 72-hour kit. Um, if you have weather forecasts saying that the heat wave is going to come, make sure that your cooling devices are working, that they're in good condition. Uh, the last thing you want to do is to turn on your AC for the first time in the year and for it to go out. Um, most home improvement stores have something, uh, a reflective window covering that you can put on your windows that will reflect the light off of them, keep the inside cool. Also make sure you keep your window coverings closed and drawn. This will also help keep the inside of the house cool. If you are, if it's prolonged, eat heat tolerant foods, heat appropriate foods. This would be salads, fruits, uh, your dairy products. Think ice cream, yogurts, things that um, you don't have to heat to consume. The last thing you want to do is stand in front of a 400 degree grill or bake a loaf of bread during the middle of a heat wave. Dress appropriately. Lighter colors, loose-fitting clothing. Make sure you, you have sunblock on, sunblocking hats if you have to be outside. Don't exert yourself. There's no need to mow lawns at the hardest part of the day. And you do not need to exercise during a heat wave unless you are being paid to exercise. If you feel like you need to, go early in the morning or go to an air-conditioned building. Also, check on your vulnerable populations. Check in on your elderly neighbors, your friends who may have infants or who may be pregnant, and those that are susceptible to heat-related injury. Um, just, it's avoidable. It's not as quick onset as it 
as some of the other disasters that we talked about, but it still is a disaster and it still does take a, take a semblance of community to make sure that people are checked in on, make sure everybody's making it through, making sure everybody's safe. And I'm going to add, have a plan. If it gets too bad, too unbearable, ACE goes out, powers out for like a week. People, you can't keep your food cold, any of that. Have a plan on somewhere that you can go to escape it. And that cool. is heat. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. Just common sense. But also know that it can turn serious, even though it doesn't seem like it should be. Like, I mean, we saw it in the Pacific Northwest last summer where areas didn't have air conditioning because they had never needed it before. All of a sudden they've got, you know, 110 degree weather. Oh, one other thing that I can add, um, depending on how bad it is, um, open up your house at night. So at nighttime, if it gets cool, then open all your, like open all your windows, turn on your fans and try to like hyper cool your house at night. And then in the morning before it starts to get hot again, close all your windows, pull your shades, stuff like that. That'll help a little bit. That's really good. Um, the fans, the big box fans, uh, I've seen people use a a cooler full of water and they'll position the fan over it and have it pull the, the evaporation off of the top of the water and push that through your house as kind of a makeshift swamp cooler. Maybe not the safest unless it the fans well grounded, but it, it's another kind of makeshift air conditioning unit that you can use if you need. Yeah. So it's actually funny. Uh, I saw that on Pinterest, and one of the comments as somebody was sharing this uh, this brand new idea, this one guy just commented. Yeah, apparently you've never been poor before. And it just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a heat wave. Cool. Well, we're a little bit longer, but not too long. So, should we move on to mindfulness? Yeah, let's do it. I think you had a quote for us. Yeah. Uh, this week in mindfulness, um, I chose a quote from Stephen King uh, from the book Different Seasons. And this quote reads, There's no harm in hoping for the best as long as you are prepared for the worst. Um, not quite the traditional mindful quote that we use, but I really like this one, especially in regards to this topic. As in, there is a certain amount of peace of mind when you are prepared for the worst thing to happen. If you have a plan, if you have a no, 
the knowledge, the know-how, it's a lot easier to focus on the things that are in front of you when you're able to kind of stay cool and fire type of thing. So that's why I chose this one. It's almost like you've been talking to my wife. <laughs> uh, we were discussing this concept just earlier today. I, so just from some of the things in the news and, you know, summertime getting crazy. I had been having some little concerns about like supply chain stuff and our food storage not being quite what I'd like it to be. Um, so I went to the store and got a whole bunch of like canned stuff and like rice, non-perishable foods, canned meats. Um, and my wife was kind of poking fun at me and I said, you know, it, there is always a chance, a very good chance that we won't need any of this, but even if we don't end up needing it, the peace of mind that it provides is, is worth it to me. Um, plus I, like I got to practice my skills at like shopping around for deals and, and things like that. And I mean, I was able to pick up uh, seven or eight cases of canned goods, 50 pounds of rice, a whole bunch of like dried pasta and stuff for less than a hundred bucks just by looking at different ads. So if a hundred bucks brings me peace of mind and like you said, being prepared for the worst, that enables us to hope for the best. So yeah. I like it. It fits. All right. That wraps up this preparing for disaster situations episode. Join us next week. We'll take a uh, little bit of a laid back look at things with a potpourri episode. Anything goes. See you then. Bye.